We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Today I've got Matt Haug with me. He is an acupuncturist in the San Francisco Bay Area, and his specialty is treating pain. We're going to talk all about that. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Nice to be here. It's good to have you here. Uh, tell us, give us a quick rundown on your background. What, what brought you to acupuncture, and, and how did you get focused on treating pain issues? It's a good question. I came to the Bay Area in the early 80s, and I was, at the time, I was really interested in writing, and I'm still really um, engaged with words to a degree. And I was studying poetry and poetics at the New College of California. And make a long story short, I went to acupuncture school because I couldn't uh, live on a poet's uh, non salary. Ah, they don't pay poets very well out there. <laughs> The weather's great, you know, the, the drinks are flowing, but it's hard to make a living. Yeah. So I met, I met Alan Marcus, uh, who is a really inspiring teacher to a lot of people in the Bay Area, and he's really an awesome pain medicine guy. So I began studying with him in my last year in acupuncture school, and I stuck with him for maybe 10 years. And uh, one of the great things about that I got from Alan was that uh, he wasn't really afraid of pain in a way. A lot of healthcare practitioners, when someone is feeling pain, they immediately want to stop or have the patient stop, do nothing, don't move. And so uh, I guess Alan kind of taught me to kind of question that, and he did not stop at that level. He kept working with people wherever they were, uh, you know, how much as they could handle. So he really inspired me to take a look at what was happening with people in pain. Yeah. So when you say wouldn't stop with pain, does that mean the treatments were painful? Or does that mean that he wanted them to lay off whatever was hurting them? Well, um, it's a good question. You know, I've talked to this about Alon, and 
he kind of he he disagrees. I, I think you know. Well, I think he's gone through a, a range of different treatments, but I think. Well, the first couple of times I, I met him or heard about him, actually, it was a similar story. It was somebody who had been hit by a bus. A guy riding a bike in San Francisco. He's hit by a bus. The, the proverbial hit by a bus. And he couldn't move. He couldn't. He couldn't walk basically. And so his friends carried him into Alan's office, and Alan worked on this guy for like an hour doing acupuncture, doing body work. And yes, it was. I'm sure it was an intense treatment. But at the end of the treatment, he could get up and he could walk. He could shuffle out of the office. So I heard this from a couple different people, and I thought, God, I've got to go meet this guy. And then he showed up at school one day. So his treatments. They can be a bit intense. When I talk to Alan about it, he doesn't, he doesn't really see it. He doesn't really perceive that to be true. So, um, and his treatments have gotten a lot gentler, I think, over the years. He's, he's really changed the way he's practiced. But I think in the, when I met him many years ago, he would just pull out all the stops and do everything to kind of help a person you know, within the scope of an hour or two hours. And he would get a huge result. Yeah. Well, you know, that focus, keeping your eye on the ball of helping somebody. Yeah. You know, on occasion, acupuncture is a bit uncomfortable. It's true. Or I should say it can be. Yeah. But it's, it's generally speaking, not nearly as uncomfortable, painful, or troublesome as whatever it is that brought you in that door. Yes. I mean, people always ask me that, too. As I'm sure they asked you, too, Michael. They say, well, does acupuncture hurt? Is this going to be bad? I always ask them if they, if they would like it to. <laughs> people usually say to me well your treatments are they're virtually pain free but uh, I don't know but sometimes people come in there a lot of pain you know so there can be some pain involved with the treatment I don't know if you found this to be true I found that people that are suffering with pain and it's an ongoing thing a little discomfort with the needles it's not that big a deal for them yeah very true yeah so let me ask you, this is, a, this is a question I get asked all the time. I'm wondering if you get asked it as well, you know, especially for pain. How's acupuncture work? Great question. I do get asked that one a lot. And I think I've seen this one on Facebook, people, acupuncturists discussing this question. And I hear different theories and stuff like that. But what I always say is, the people who come in, I always say something like, well, just imagine you're... You're preparing your home and you're in your kitchen. You're preparing your dinner. You're chopping some vegetables with a knife. And maybe you nick your finger. You make a little cut in your skin. And we've all heard someplace in high school or college that when there's a break in the skin, all the, you know, the immune system, the white blood cells rush to that area to, to create a healing response. And most people say, yeah, yeah, they've, they've heard something like that. So I say acupuncture, it kind of works with the same response. In a sense, maybe you, can, you could think of acupuncture as we're kind of creating tiny cuts in the body. Almost they're homeopathic. They're so small, maybe we can't even see them. But the body is aware of those points where the needle comes in. And the immune system definitely sees them. And the body creates a healing response to the, to the work that we do inserting the needles. And so most people uh, are interested in that, in that response. Mm -hmm. so, That's what I say. Yeah. 
So let me just make sure that I got this. Because the needles create a little stimulation at the very physiological level, the body goes, ooh, something's up here. And so it sends, it sends resources. How do you see the neurological system being involved in this, if you see it being involved at all? Well, for me, uh, especially any, any question about working with pain, it's definitely the, the neurological system is uh, the major player there. You know, it's hard to know where, where people are at these days, but I mean, at one point, endocrine system and neurological system were different. And then, I don't know when it was, 20, maybe 20 years ago, they kind of became the same system. And the immune system is there as well. They're kind of all interacting with each other. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in those. Well, I, I kind of like, uh, um, you know, Kaiser. I was looking at Kaiser's website, and they have a really, I thought they had a really good definition of acupuncture. They talked about it as uh, uh, acupuncture can change patient's perception of pain, and it can also modify physiological processes. I thought oh, that's that's not bad, you know. That that's pretty good. That's kind of the, that's kind of the way I think. Yeah, that you know, is that's a great description, actually. You know, um, yeah. I, probably someone would say, "Oh, acupuncture can do a lot more than just pain or something," which is true. But uh, it kind of covers the basis pretty well, at least as the way I, uh, I practice. Yeah. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, that first piece about changing a person's perception of pain. <laughs> yeah. Could you go into that a little bit? Okay. It's a huge topic. <laughs> so I'll just start start with a really, um, maybe something else I should have said in my introduction. So I'm an acupuncturist, but I really got involved with, uh, they call it the science of the pain or, or neuroscience of pain. So a lot of these things I'm going to say, there's a lot of evidence behind them. They're kind of more cutting edge science or the stuff I'm saying isn't just me. It's concepts I use every day and when I work with people. But uh, the, the ideas that I use are pretty well known among pain researchers and people who write about people with pain. They're kind of um, almost mainstream ideas. But if you're not in that field, you might not have heard of any of this stuff before. So uh, I guess I would say the basic idea is that pain itself is an output from the brain. Uh, the brain creates pain. So we have an idea. So that might be counterintuitive. Most of us have an idea, we got someplace that pain is coming from the tissues someplace. If we uh, sprain our ankle or something, that's, that's acute pain. But most people have an idea that pain is sensory information that's coming from damaged tissue that goes up to the brain and says, we got a problem here. Mm-hmm. Just kind of what happens. But the, kind of the, the brain kind of makes a judgment call. I guess part of it is... That there's a perception of a threat is, is part of it. And pain is also seen as something that protects us. And pain also can be something that tells us to maybe change what we're doing, stop, change what we're doing. It's a really important early warning signal. Yeah. In some cases, or a very acute, hey, you know, like especially, well, the example you just gave chopping vegetables. If you chop off the end of your finger, you need to know about it. Yeah. I mean, the other side of that is that if the brain realizes there's not a real threat there, it can turn down the pain signals or get rid of the pain signals. 
So there's kind of like a dimmer switch there that the brain can use uh, depending on a variety of factors. I'm curious, what about the situations where the brain is actually turning it up? Right, right. Which is often why we're seeing people. Correct. So I work a lot with people with chronic pain, and they can be a very challenging group to work with. And in chronic pain, uh, the basic situation is that, you know, obviously somebody's had pain for a long time, and it's gone past the normal time for the tissue to heal. And hopefully, you know, we of course, they've, they've seen the MDs, they've seen physical therapists, they've seen all kinds of people, and they still have this pain. So when they come to see me or another acupuncturist, part of the thing to realize is, is that their body, the tissues may have healed fine, actually, but they're still experiencing chronic pain. So uh, it's more of a phenomenon happening in the brain. It could have to do with their beliefs system. And it can be a little bit hard for some people to, to believe if they've never really encountered somebody with chronic pain that such a, such a case can exist, that their tissue is going to maybe they're healthy, maybe the person is very unfit, maybe they haven't moved in a long time, maybe they're very stiff. But, um, you know, the, the analogy that I use a lot, I say uh, acute pain is kind of like a forest fire in the tissues, and the alarm bells are just ringing. But with chronic pain, it's more like the, you know, the firestorm uh, has gone out, but the tissues are just like ashes. But the fire alarm just continues to ring. And that's kind of what a lot of these people are, are like, unfortunately. Is this almost like a post-traumatic stress type of thing where an event has happened and, and yet the neurological system can't seem to let it go? Well, I, I think one point I would say is everyone's pain is, 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 is individual. So everyone's pain is kind of unique. So people can kind of have a mixture in real life. They have a mixture of several different types of pain going on at once. They could have an acute pain flare-up, and they could also have parts of their pain which are part of a longer story, part of a chronic thing. And they could have something in their background that contributes to a trauma-type history, uh, especially people with brain injuries or whiplash. You tend to really see the trauma come out there. But I would say trauma is different than chronic pain, but they can feed into each other. But uh, I would say trauma is much more intense. Uh, you know, I've tried to treat it. I've treated it. It's, it's very challenging to treat somebody uh, who's going through the trauma experience. This, I suspect, is well treated by the first part of what Kaiser was talking about in their description of acupuncture and how, I can't remember the exact words that you used, but something to the effect of changes a person's perception. Yeah, it changes. I think the first part was acupuncture changes the perception of pain. Yeah. So uh, that's a great. It's a great sentence. Can you give us a few examples of what you've seen in clinic, where people have come in with whatever kind of pain—acute, chronic, doesn't matter—but they've had this sort of aha sense of it being different than what they thought it was. Acupuncture. 
yeah, being yeah. different or, or pain being different? Uh, the pain being different. That the acupuncture brought on an experience and they had this remarkable uh, reconstruction of their mental way of viewing it. Well, I think it's an interesting question. I think me and Michael talked once before and we had this image of we have patients come into our offices and they off, they frequently say they're having – they've seen some imaging and they see they have bone-on-bone pain. Oh, yeah. Is that what you mean? Right. There's a very strong belief system. Hey, there's nothing here. It's bone-on-bone. I Yeah. What can you do? You can't do anything, can you? Yeah. How can acupuncture fix that? Right. That's kind of a very, it's an interesting question. Yeah. So what's your sense of that? Well, I have a lot. <laughs> I think about that question a lot. I have a lot of different senses about it. You know, one of the first things I could say is that the, you know, the imaging, the MRIs and stuff like that, they don't really give a sense of how the patient's going to do. They're not, it's not really predictive, I would say. So there's something in our culture when we get those pictures inside parts of our body, kind of things we've never really seen before. They're, it can be very powerful. And we have an idea, you know, it's kind of like taking your car to the mechanic, you know, the carburetor's not working so well or something. And you kind of want to just swap out the part and be on your way, mm-hmm. is the way most people are thinking about that. Yeah, find the smoking gun. Uh, well, it, it kind of goes back to what, what I think we were just talking about. That you know that that I guess that does work. I guess that does happen for some people. I mean, they have, you know, they can have a very successful surgery, and go on about their life, and there's no uh, no complaints. I, I don't I don't usually see those type of people. You know, I don't see them either. In fact, what I tend to see, and I suspect your situation is similar. We don't see the people that had successful knees replaced. Yeah, we see the people that now have neuropathy. Or they've had a nerve severed or, you know, something. Right. But it kind of goes back to that sense of, uh, you know, when there's an intervention, different things can happen. Maybe the person has a perfect outcome. Maybe the next person develops chronic pain. Maybe their tissues do get better. At the same time, they kind of have this lingering firestorm going on in their brain where everything hurts all the time. So... It's not. It, 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 it's a complex. It's a, it's more complex than, than you than you would think. Yeah. Because um, on the other hand, you can have people with chronic pain who've had no injury, who've had no surgery. You know, they may have a complex history. They may have other things going on, but at some point, their lives just become overco- overcome with with pain, with chronic pain, and um, they see all the doctors, they see all the specialists, and they can't find any relief. So it's a little bit more complex than sometimes is apparent, I guess. Other than using acupuncture, I, I love the term that you use, the, the firestorm in the brain mm-hmm. that, that says there's still a fire going on. Other than acupuncture, are there other ways of getting to that fire? Are there other ways of getting the neurological system to let go of that continual chronic sense that there's a problem. Yeah. The most basic thing is that the brain is kind of creating this pain because it senses there is a threat in the environment or the person is being threatened. So you really have to take out any sense of uh, threat to them uh, in your interactions with them. Uh, That can be huge. And you can kind of explain to them what's going on in their bodies. Uh, Oftentimes doctors, they don't have the time 
or the expertise. You know, they're kind of just doing a specific job. But these metaphors, people kind of organize their life, you know, like bone on bone. I'm kind of a word person, and I, I see these people come in with these stories, and those stories kind of become their identity or their reality. And they kind of become obsessed with that in a sense. Also, you have to realize these people are they're kind of freaking out in a way. They're kind of people with chronic pain. They're often in a sympathetic dominant state. So they're not coming from a really relaxed, deep thinking space. They're upset and uh, they, they have these metaphors kind of thrown at them and they kind of want you to uh, balance off those metaphors too. But I always try to give them some metaphors or information or words or stories that I think will be more of more benefit to them. So one that I use a lot, I'm sure a lot of physical therapists use it, uh, people say motion is lotion. So a lot, a lot of these people don't move. They're afraid to move. And so you do acupuncture. You can show them a little bit of uh, some gentle movements they can do for their low back or their hip or their neck. And you can say, yeah, I want you to do these, these gentle movements. This is going to put a nice oil on all the joint surfaces in your neck. It's going to really lubricate things up and make things work well. And we're going to really show your muscles how to heal with this. And um, that's something you can try to give them some new messages. Another one that people use a lot in chronic pain, and another saying is that um, the more you back away from your pain, or one of, the, one of these days you're going to hit the wall if you keep backing away from your pain. So the message there is to kind of stay active, kind of engage with the pain to a bit. Don't, uh, whenever you feel pain, don't stop what you're doing because that tends to just make the nervous system more and more sensitive and more and more reactive. Yeah, it locks itself down. I, that makes a lot of sense. I've been dealing with a, uh, a funny thing with my shoulder recently. Uh-huh. Just a little stiff. I go to reach behind me and it's like, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I found myself shifting my body mechanics so that I didn't put a stretch into it. It's like, I'll uh-huh. just turn my body so I don't do that. Uh-huh. And then uh, I got back to doing a little more Taiji, which I used to do on a regular basis. I've been getting back more into it. And I remembered one of the things that my teacher said, which is extend through your joints. And so I found myself lately doing my Taiji in the morning, doing some of these motions that otherwise would make this joint feel a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But if I just extended through the joint, not mm-hmm. just stick with that sticky part, but extend through that joint and the next joint down and the next joint down and the next joint down all the way through my fingertips, uh-huh. oh, the whole thing would open up. Great. Yeah. Very simple movements. I guess another thing I, I see a lot in people, and this is a little bit different than your comment, but I see people come in. I think what well, we all heard about when we go to school, you heard about rotator cuff injuries to the shoulder and all this, all this stuff. And where I work, I see people come in and you ask them, how's the shoulder doing? And they say, yeah, it's okay. But what they mean is that if they keep their shoulder in a very narrow range, if they never lift their shoulder over their head, they're doing good. Mm-hmm. But basically, they're kind of losing a lot of functional ability in their shoulder because uh, they're actually they're afraid to movement. But uh, so I think there are there are a lot of people walking around with these quote unquote ro- rotator cuff injuries or something, and it's basically because they they don't really they stop moving their shoulders. 
because they're kind of afraid to move the shoulders because when they do, they feel some discomfort or they feel a weird feeling. So literally the image that the brain has of that shoulder has shrunken down Mm. in terms of its functionality. Right. So in chronic pain, we think a lot about there's a part of the brain they call the somatosensory cortex. And it means that in the brain, there is this tiny little homunculus. It looks just like us. And it knows where all our joints are at all times. It knows where all our muscles are at all times. So, I mean, if you close your eyes, you can try this. You can, you know, it's easy to touch your nose, touch your finger to your nose, or you can grab the coffee coffee cup off the table uh, with your eyes closed because your brain has has this complete picture of the body at all times. And I guess there's actually this many different homunculuses, so it's, it's more complex than that. But so in chronic pain, if people aren't moving their shoulder or get in the habit of don't turn the neck, so that means the little shoulder on the homunculus, it kind of goes out of focus. So it means that the, the brain can't quite see that body part anymore. And they say that's one of the real reasons people have chronic pain. So a lot of these pain researchers, they talk a lot about they want to do rehabilitation on that little homunculus, on the somatosensory cortex, which I think is a very interesting idea. Because in acupuncture, we, talk, we think a lot about homunculuses. All the time, sure. We think about the, Im- the imaging. We're very comfortable with that uh, in, a, in a funny way. But I mean, a lot of people are obsessed with, oh, there's something wrong with a tissue. We, we got to find it and fix it. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a good way to go to a degree. But with the chronic pain people, uh, the injury is on a different level completely. They're more with the homunculus. So you kind of have to think about working with that. And I think acupuncture is good. They, they say movement. Movement is the best medicine for the somatosensory cortex because the more you move a body part, the brain will eventually be able to see it. It will figure it out. But if you don't move, everything goes out of focus. Mm-hmm. So then the brain can't see it, and it's a, it's a question mark. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. You know, this this really explains why somebody's shoulder could hurt and have limited range of motion. And we would stick some needles in their ankle, right? But doctor, the pain's so much... And why do we stick it in the ankle? Because... From the brain's point of view, we're actually drawing attention to that portion that has gone out of focus. Yeah. Because they have a reflective resonance. You add some motion in while you've got the needles in. Now you're not only waking up the brain, but you're getting the motion going as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And one other bit from pain science, which I really like, which is very... TCM-ish to me is, uh, I saw a recent definition of pain, and the definition was pain can be, or an overwhelming emotional experience can cause pain. 
And so in acupuncture world, we have the seven emotions. And I think, I think that's the very fertile ground if you're working with people with chronic pain because there's kind of a stereotype that a lot of people with chronic pain are, are depressed. You know, there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. But they're often angry. They're often fearful. And usually one of those emotions will be more prominent than the other. Yes, yes. They'll be kind of a go-to emotion. They're sad about it. They're depressed about it. They're angry about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we definitely have strategies in Chinese medicine to address uh, those emotions. Tell us a little bit more about how chronic and acute pain differ and what patients can do to help speed their own healing with each of those particular situations. So I think the a classic acute pain syndrome is the sprained ankle. I think we've all experienced that at one point or the other. And basically you're doing something, maybe, maybe you're not paying attention, you're playing a game or something, and you, uh, you twist your ankle. And usually what happens is in the beginning, maybe you don't feel that much. Maybe you know, there actually isn't that much pain. But usually a couple hours later, uh, it swells up. The tissue swells, swell up with local inflammation there. And so, uh, you know, I think the classic remedy is uh, to elevate your ankle, you know, put some ice on there, some compression, some local compression, and uh, stay off the ankle for, you know, first couple days or whatever. And for most people, they're, they're good as new pretty soon. You can get acupuncture for that or you could yeah. get a... What are your thoughts about ice? Oh, I think, uh, you know, it's not a huge issue for me. Uh, you mean ice versus moxa? Well, I'm thinking ice on tissue that's been damaged. And mm. you have this cold mm-hmm. coming in and, mm. uh, you know, clogging up the microcirculation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. At least that's my point of view. Is it, I, I'm curious to know what your, uh, your point of view on that. It's, it, for me, ice is really... Uh, a non-issue. I hate to say it. It's not really. Uh, I don't get that excited about it. But I think. Uh, I don't know. I think. I think there's enough literature stuff in the literature that says you know ice on an acute sprain like that can help. I mean, well, I think compression really helps too. But there is a technique I use a lot. I'm sure a lot of people use it called, called well, spray and stretch. But actually, what it means is, you take a hunk of ice, you kind of make a muscle really cold. Mm-hmm. And it kind of confuses the nervous system for a minute because it does. The nervous system doesn't understand why one strip of the body is all of a sudden is very cold. So it kind of lets go uh, a little bit. So you can you can kind of stretch a muscle to a new barrier uh, after you've made it cold, and then you kind of slap heat on it, you know, in the second part of the treatment. So um, I think I think ice is good for me. It's just like a, I just see it as like a counter irritant type type therapy. I don't. Uh, you know, Mox is great too, but I usually do, I usually do Moxa like on the low back. It's more more characteristic for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess chronic pain is is kind of the opposite of that of the acute pain. So it's uh, so it it can begin with an injury, or there or there or there can be no injury history, which makes it really interesting. But in the body, there is a very um, there's a schedule. There's a, of how things heal. So first 72 hours is acute. Next month or five weeks is they call remodeling phase. Then after that, they call it the, uh, or I think it's pro- proliferative phase. Then, then it's uh, the maturation phase or something. The remodeling phase is the third phase. So chronic pain has gone beyond those phases. So they should have gotten better. 
They should have healed, but for some reason, they have not healed in, in that time limit. That's the simple definition of what chronic pain is. So it's a much more complex situation. It has to, in my mind, it has a lot to do with the homunculus, the somatosensory cortex, the nervous system is at play, the endocrine system is at play. Basically, the brain is really affected in a way. So the brain can become super sensitive so that even if someone makes a mild contact, places their finger on your ankle, you could be screaming in pain. So it's kind of like someone has placed a magnifying glass into the nervous system and all the inputs are magnified to such a degree that the person is in the midst of a chronic pain crisis. So I, I guess treatment would be re- recalibrating the nervous system back to, back to kind of a quote-unquote normal. And probably the best way to do that is, is movement. So um, a lot of people with chronic pain, they don't like to move. But that's the way, uh, that's the simple way to get it back. Motion is lotion. Hey. <laughs> it works. I, I was reading a book recently on, uh, this is a, a slight divergent, but not too much, um, on bone broth. I've had a number of patients lately that they've been just really weak and run down. Bone broth seemed like a good idea. And we have this great new butcher shop here in the St. Louis area that only sources organic pasture-raised critters. Uh-huh. So if you need bones for bone broth, they're like the go-to place for really good, healthy bones. And uh, so I picked up a book on bone broth just to you know really get into you know, understanding it better. And... One of the things that they talked about, this kind of gets back to the bone on bone. One of the things that the book talks about and reminded me of my like anatomy 101 is that our joints are encapsulated with these capsules, and inside mm-hmm. the joint is not blood, but synovial mm-hmm. fluid. Yeah. Right? There's no blood vessels inside of our joints mm-hmm. unless we've got osteoarthritis and, and the whole thing's broken down. You know, and it's a big mess. So how does the joint repair itself and nourish itself? Well, by the compression and the movement of this synovial fluid, which has all the ingredients that you need actually, uh, so your bones aren't bone on bone, right? It's got collagen and gelatin and, you know, all yeah. these building blocks. And how is it that this stuff gets pumped and moved around the vessel? Mm-hmm. Movement. Yeah. So every time we move, we're actually bathing our joints and all the nutrients that it needs to repair itself, given we've actually got enough of the nutrition, you know, in our body. Yeah. To get into the synovial fluid. Which brings me to my next question. Do you see diet playing any role in this issue at all? I do. I, I kind of want to respond a little bit to your comment about the bone broth. Mm. And that is to say that, uh, you know, back to the bone-on-bone bone thing. So a lot, of people, a lot of those people, they think like a bone is like a brick. Or they were kind of made of bricks or a stack of bricks. And these bones are super strong. And they're what's keeping us up. But the bone in the living body is kind of a malleable thing. I mean, it's not this heavy uh, brick-like substance, you know. Not living bone. Living bone, yeah. Living bone is living bone is uh, a different thing entirely. And, and and our bones are always being broken down and remodeled every day. And you know, I, I've talked to people who've had like new discs put in. They have these new plastic discs put in. And uh, what what I hear is that people feel great 
for maybe the first couple years or the first year or two or maybe even less than that. But then after that, a lot of their pain starts to come back because there are other forces in the body that kind of the way we walk, the way we, things that we do, those kind of energies moving through the body are still there. And they seem, seem like they can kind of override these, these kind of plastic discs that are being uh, put in now. Aren't remodeling themselves, like bone Yes. Work. But diet, you know, it's a, really, it's a good question. I think traditional foods are awesome medicines, and especially people with chronic pain, they usually, they need that. They, they need the nutrition. But, um, I've, you know, I've had people come into my office and they're like eating uh, licorice, and they're like drinking some uh, super sugar soda, and uh, those people, are, they always complain about joint pain. And it's kind of a no-brainer, I think. If you're uh, eating licorice all day and drinking, you know, a lot of sugar water, mm-hmm. that that stuff's going to cause problems. Well, it's going to cause inflammation. Yeah. You know, and if you already have inflammation, it's just going to uh, add some nice dry kindling to uh, the fire that's already going. <laughs> but, you know, it's not for everybody, but I like the traditional foods. Uh, some people say people with chronic pain, they should eat stuff like liver once a week or eat real milk or greens or whatever but you know everyone everyone's really different and everyone's pain is really different mm-hmm. so i uh you know i try to avoid giving blanket recommendations but i think the western price stuff is good stuff yeah i, I think that's pretty interesting stuff as well i think it's yeah. good advice and, and yeah you know, it's good advice yeah for fermented foods and right i've had some patients recently who had some very chronic pain and a lot of inflammation along with it neck pain, headaches from the neck pain. And uh, they just decided to be their own white mouse. Uh-huh. A, a little prompting from me, actually. <laughs> just a, a little, little prompting bit. from me. Decided to be their own white mouse. Right. And they, they just dropped wheat and they dropped sugar. Yeah. I, I said, just do, it for, just do it for a few weeks. See how you feel. And it can be remarkable. I've seen people that were on four pain pills a day drop to maybe one yeah, in the yeah. course of three weeks. Yeah, especially all those healthy fats too. I think they, those play a good role in decreasing inflammation. Yeah, so sometimes there's all this stuff that we're actually putting in our own way. Yeah. And it's not that we need one more thing. Right. We actually just need to take out the two or three that are causing big mischief. Yeah, Totally, totally. Yeah. What are some of the mischief makers that you see that you would like your patients to uh, stay away from if at all possible? And, and again, I know you're not doing blanket statements, but they've got a lot of pain, a lot of inflammation. Well, uh, you know, I, I, just see, I just see different you know, attitudes. Like one thing uh, you know, I see every day, and I'm sure you see it too, people come in and say, nothing can help me. No one can help me. They have this firm idea that maybe they've seen a million doctors, they've seen a million healers, and they say, nothing can touch my pain. And that's a huge one. That's huge. If you can kind of work on that at all, uh, dialogue with them at all, uh, using diet or whatever. And the other attitude I see a lot is, too, people are kind of waiting for the magic bullet. They're Mm -hmm. not going to do anything, but they're thinking, well, maybe the next couple of years, uh, that certain pill is going to come out that's really going to help the chronic pain people. So I'm just kind of sitting in my house, and I'm waiting for that to happen. That's another big loser, I think. Mm-hmm. There's an idea in, in pain medicine that's called graded exposure, which means uh, it, and it's kind of an interesting concept. Well, I have one client, 
She has uh, she has pain radiating from her neck down to both arms. She's got carpal tunnel and other things like that. And she'll she'll say I'll talk to her and she'll say well she has these weird laundry machines in her building. And if she does two loads of laundry, she has to kind of reach up on the wall or something to 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 load the machine. If she'll do two loads, she's t- her pain is flared up for days, maybe a week. But if she does one load of laundry, she's okay. Things are bearable. So there's kind of something with chronic pain where um, you kind of have to know your edge. You have to know what you can kind of get away with, your baseline. And then you try to work with that edge a little bit. You try to go a little bit more. So if someone says, well, I can walk a block and then my sciatica really flares up. So then you say, okay, I want you to walk a block and then tomorrow go, go two or three more steps and, and just see how that goes. So it's another one of these things that trying to recalibrate the nervous system a little bit. But you don't want to have them uh, go out for, to run the marathon because that'll totally blow them out of the water and they'll, they'll hate you and everything will flare up. The, the point is to kind of know your baseline and then to push it a little bit so you go a little bit further each day, you know what I mean? That can be a really helpful idea. Right, slow and consistent. Yeah, but always expanding, always doing more. If you always swim, you know, some people can swim, uh, which is awesome, but, you know, try something else, you know. Try, uh, maybe try the elliptical trainer or try lifting some weights or even even small weights. Mix it up a bit. Yeah. Have you got any thoughts about repetitive motion injuries? You know, people like, you know, hairdressers with thumbs that hurt or, or uh, typists who pain in their elbows. I do. And they're really complex. And you really have to take a big picture look at what's happening with those patients. So people with stuff in their hands, I mean, I'm not sure how you work, Michael, but um, that's for me, that's almost always somebody with, who has a neck problem. Um, that's that probably the first place that I would look. Yeah, I, I tend to go to the neck as well. Or I would look at the thoracic system. But they're very complex, and so that's usually more in the realm of a, a tendonitis. And that's some place where the person usually does need to cut back on their activity a little bit, you know what I mean, if, if possible. Some people, they have to work, and so they have to, they're working at – I worked with one woman. She worked at a box factory, and it was terrible on her, on her wrists, on her elbows, on her hands. And she finally had to just get out of there because it was, it was too much. But those people do need to kind of dial it back a little bit. But um, it takes a big picture approach to treat them. I mean, you can do local compresses. You can do herbal soaks on the hands. What kind of compresses would you recommend? Well, I'm a big fan of, of the Spring Wind line. You know, have you tried those? Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with Spring Wind. Great stuff. So um, I know there's the Solanopause or there's, there's stuff in the stores. There's the Capsicum. Right, so those little plastery patches that you would put onto the area. Some people, some people uh, rave about that stuff. They, they say it really helps. I, I find the Dr. Schur's liniment. Yeah, Dr. Schur's liniment is awesome. It's great stuff. Some people don't like the smell. It smells a little bit, uh, you know. Medicine-y. smells a little bit medicine-y. Yeah. <laughs> it's medicine. What are you going to do? Right, right. But of course, in Chinese herbal medicine, we have all these amazing herbs, which are specific for the small joints and stuff like that. You know, we have all those. But um, better to go see a practitioner than try to, uh, you know, figure it all out by yourself. It, it is helpful to see someone who, uh, who has some experience with it. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you're kind of shooting in the dark. Yeah. 
and you know the, the best herbs you can't you can't really find the best herbs at Whole Foods or something. You know you can't really find the great Chinese herbs there. They do have some stuff. Mostly the tonics and a few digestives and things like that. And there's one herb I can kind of recommend. Uh, you know, ever, ever tried black cohosh? It's kind of a, it's a peripheral vasodilator for the lower part of the body. So people who say like get up in the morning and they say, oh my legs just feel like lead, which is kind of a common complaint. That herb is also kind of stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is kind of why I like it for the chronic pain people too. So it kind of calms people down a bit kind of chills you out a little bit and um and it does feel really good for the circulation especially in the lower part of the body it's not a miracle cure but uh it can take down the aches and pains by a few degrees and it's widely available it's a good one to know about it's a western herb i haven't really looked into it because i've mostly focused on chinese herbs but i know it's popularly used for women going through menopause hot flashes and that sort of thing as well right so acupuncture is famous for pain, and we alluded earlier to there's lots of other things that it can treat. Can, can you tell us a bit about the other sorts of issues that you see in your clinic? When I first got my license, I, uh, it was, there was a lot of funding in San Francisco at that time for treating people with HIV. So when I first started practicing, this was maybe 10, 12 years ago, I saw a lot of people with HIV and I was working with a doctor who specialized in hepatitis, hepatitis C. So I, I treated that stuff for a long time. But other stuff, I, I see the garden variety stuff. I see a lot of GI complaints. I'm sure you do too. But um, I think people come in, they, I'm sure they ask these questions of you too, Michael. They say, I've got like the typical constitution of somebody in this culture. They have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, blood sugar is kind of wobbly. You know what I mean? They're a little bit overweight. Some people call that syndrome X. It's kind of like a pre-diabetes. And I think we can do a lot of good with those people. We kind of get them before the diabetes gets too out of control, the blood sugar gets too out of control. So I see a lot of that. Yeah, that metabolic syndrome X is appears to be the precursor of all kinds of problems. All kinds of mischief. All kinds of mischief and... Really, if there's any issues with inflammation in the body, this really exacerbates it. And many people with chronic pain, they have that constitution. Mm -hmm. So it kind of ties into other things. But um, of course, people with chronic pain, they also, they're, they're usually not sleeping well. So that can be a big one. And like most people these days, they have a lot of stress. They have a lot of anxiety. I mean, maybe they're not working as much as they used to work which adds to the stress level. So, of course, acupuncture is famous for, for that as well. Oh, yeah. Most people are... It's amazing how quiet the room can be when you walk back into it and someone's just been kind of marinating with the needles for a while. So I've got a question that may... I don't know if it's a fair question, but I'm going to toss it out anyway. Okay. All right. Uh, and I suspect you hear it from your patients all the time because uh, I know I hear it from mine. And the question is, how long is it going to take for this thing to get better. Right. Are you um, going to name the condition? or? <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, or is this a general question? Uh, you know, as a, as a general question, I get it as a general question. And then, of course, I get it with uh, people that have chronic pain. They want to know, you know, what's the investment I got to make in this thing? Because they've already spent tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Well, um, how long does it take? Well, off the top of my head, I would say come in 
three to four times, maybe uh, either come in twice a week or come in once every three weeks. And um, I can usually tell them like which part of their complaints I can have an effect right away and which, which part of their complaints are going to be more of a long haul. So, you know, if their tendonitis in their elbow is really flaring up, I can say, okay, come in a couple times. I can probably get that from, if it's the pain's at seven, I can probably get it down to a one or two in a couple weeks. But long-term problems like blood sugar problems, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, you know, that could be months. That could be two or three months. Not that they have to come in every week for three months, but there's, there's going to be a treatment plan and they're going to have to stick with it. How often do you think it's necessary that people make some sort of a shift in their lifestyle to get better with these chronic issues? I would say it's pretty rare. Some people that are really on the ball, like, uh, you know, one image I have of, of a chronic pain person, yeah, he comes in for acupuncture. Also, he's really active. He swims like three times a week and he still goes out and he does a lot of stuff. You know, he'll, like his friend will call him and say, let's go dancing. He'll go out and he'll go dancing. And he'll say, everything was going great. Then all of a sudden, bam, you know, his pain will, will, will get back to him in a bad way. But his attitude is, well, I'll just have a couple, uh, you know, gin and tonics. I'm not going to freak out. I, I'm a person with chronic pain, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go and see Matt next week, and we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. Most people are really living in a lot of fear, anxiety, and it's really hard to, for them to wrap their, their heads around it. That's why I spend, I spend time talking to people and trying to get them on board. So it sounds like a piece of it is helping people. I'm going to paraphrase this, and, and you can tell me if I got it or not. Reconnect with their experience in a different way. Yeah. Well, I was gonna I was gonna use that word mindfulness, but we haven't gotten to it. But it 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 kind of is working with chronic pain. It is kind of that type of journey because I feel like some of these people with chronic pain they've really checked out of their bodies in a way, and they don't really like to be too present because they're afraid there's gonna be a lot of pain there. Also, they're worrying a lot about the future, and they're freaked out about their past, and so it can be really hard for them to settle in and be present in the present moment. And that's where you really have to be to make changes in your life. I think acupuncture does give people some of that space to kind of come in, take a break from their lives, their families, their jobs, and maybe check in with the present moment, even for half an hour or 40 minutes. Sure, it can be helpful. Any advice or tools or methods that you... Uh share with your patients in terms of cultivating a bit more mindfulness and inhabiting their body a bit more as the days go on and on the days when they're not seeing you? Well, for, for me, the most, base, the most basic stuff is just paying attention to your breath, feeling your feet on the floor or feeling your butt in the chair and kind of realizing that uh, all the movie that's moving through your brain right now, it's just kind of fleeting Shadows. It's not uh, reality, quote-unquote. It's just kind of a movie that's there. And not to believe everything in the movie or not to get too wrapped up in it. Change the story a little, or at least recognize it's a story. Yeah. yeah. A, you know, I read this great book on mindfulness and eating. It was by this woman in Portland, and I, I, uh, I think that's the title of it. But that, that's really an amazing book. It's really a simple book. But because um, eating is something we do 
all the time, something that most of us are preoccupied with. And it can really drive us in crazy ways. So if you can kind of think about mindfulness you know, in, the, in that way, just like, huh, you know, what did I eat today? In a, non, in a non-judgmental way, you know. Sounds like that book could be helpful to people. Just sort of translate it from eating to body movement. Motion is lotion. <laughs> that too. That's good too. Yeah, I like that. Matt, any closing ideas or thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Closing ideas. I don't know. There's just something about that journey, helping with people with chronic pain. I've, I've, I've learned a lot because uh, about myself and working with other people. And there's, there's so much there for me. Even just the bit about language, you know, these stories we tell us ourselves bone on bone. In a way, those, uh, those words, they, don't, they kind of exist in our brain and we kind of think they're reality and, we, and, and they kind of become our reality. But um, I guess I think it's possible with acupuncture and movement, mindfulness, to change those things around. Have you got a website? Yes, I am matthaug.com. All right, that's easy enough. We'll make sure it's on the show notes, too. Okay, thanks, Michael. Thanks for being here today. This was fun. Always great to connect. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week. 